Many of you have been hurt by church. It happens. Maybe you got caught up in the middle of a church fight. Maybe you got caught in some church politics. Maybe you found out there, was, there were cliques in a church. Or maybe you got uh, kind of steamrollered by somebody else's agenda at church. It seems like these days you can't hardly open a newspaper without reading another story about clergy abuse. And that's a horrible thing. It should never happen. And you go, why does something like that happen in church? Maybe you got abused by some power-hungry preacher. Or, or, or maybe you felt really frustrated because you saw that there was opportunities to, to live for Jesus and there were people in the church that just really kind of blocked that. And, and you're like, why in the world would people want to block something so good and so right? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, this may be the very reason you don't go to church. Or you come to church reluctantly, or you come to church and you kind of close up your heart real quick and say, Okay, you know, I like Jesus. I even admit I need God. I just don't want anything to do with church. Andy Stanley has a great quote. He says, the reason most people don't go to church is because they've been. True? Yeah. And, and if you're a part of this church, I, I think we need to be honest and say, you know, we don't always get this right either. I mean, I can't with integrity say, Alice Drive's never hurt anybody because we have. And... and and I hate that. That's never our desire. We don't ever want to hurt anyone. But, but we're imperfect people, and we don't do this well. And we want to make sure that ADBC remains a place of grace. How do we make sure that this church stays a place of grace? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you may think, well, this sermon isn't really for me. And you may have guessed already the whole series, Place of Grace, is going to be about church being a place of grace. And you're going, okay, I'm just not going to come the next few weeks. I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to find out what church is supposed to be, not from our lips, but from the lips of Jesus. And I want you to hold us accountable to it. And if you see us not even trying, then I totally understand why you might walk away. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, no matter where Jesus leads you to attend church, to be part of a, a body of Christ, this is for you. And if you're part of ADBC, this is especially for you. Because I look out and I see a world that needs hope, it needs healing, people need forgiveness, people need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if church is not a place of grace, are they going to be able to hear the good news of Jesus? We're going to spend a few weeks in John chapter 15. I want to encourage you to read this chapter over and over. It is one of the richest chapters in the Bible. Let it sink into your soul. And today we're going to look at the first eight verses. And let me give you the big idea right up front. If you don't get anything else I say, get this, write it down. Who you connect to determines what you produce. Let me say it again. Who you connect to determines what you produce. Now, if you have raised teenagers, you have given them the same speech, right? Be careful who your friends are. They determine your future, right? You give them that speech. How many of you gave that speech? How many of you had that speech actually work? No, don't raise your hands on that one. Okay. If you are a preschool parent, you've experienced this. I know you have. Your little sweet 
three-year-old comes home and a word comes out of their mouth, and they never heard that word from your lips, right? And before you grab the bar of soap to wash their mouth out, do people still do that? That's what my mama did. Before you wash their mouth out, you say, where did you learn that word? And they say, my friend at preschool taught it to me. Who you're connected to determines what you produce. Now, I, and I know, I know every one of you have experienced this in the workplace or at school, right? You were on a team, you were given a problem to solve, and there's always that one guy, one guy, and they produce them in a factory up north. I don't know where. That one guy they assign to every team, and every team has the guy who can poke holes in every solution to a problem, and he never offers anything positive. And so the whole team starts crashing down. Now, if you are sitting there saying, or if you're watching and you're saying, hey, I've never been on a team with a guy like that, you're the guy, okay? Just own that. All right. So let's dive in. We're going to look at four questions that come up as a result of Jesus' teaching. Who are you connected to? What kind of cut will you receive? Um, what does connection mean, and is there any fruit? Jesus starts off and he says, uh, well, the first question we're going to deal with is who you're connected with, uh, to, and then Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, this is the last of Jesus' great I am statements in the Gospel of John. And what is Jesus really saying? Do you remember in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is talking to the burning bush and Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. Okay, that's God's name, I am. And it means that God is the ground of all being. It means he's the source of all creation. It means that there is nothing that exists or continues to exist without God's direct active intervention. Your life depends on God being the great I am. So when Jesus says, I am, he's not just making a simple statement. He's making a declaration that he is God. Now, because we're in church, we go, well, of course. But we forget how radical that was in Jesus' time. For a man to step up and say, I am God, as C.S. Lewis famously said, that means Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. True? True, I mean, because if I stand up today and say, I am God, you're going to go, <laughs> you're a liar. And some of you are going to go, there's a nice room for you. Or you're going to go, yeah, he really is. And we all know I'm not God. Aren't you glad? But Jesus really is. He does not just claim to be a miracle worker or a teacher. He really is God. So do you accept Jesus as God? Do you give him that kind of authority? Do you give him that kind of weight? Now Jesus goes on. He fills this out. He says, I am the true vine. What does, what does he mean by that? In the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, there are a number of references to the people of God, Israel, being the vine. All of these references have the same connotation. They all refer to judgment and fire. So the people of God were not doing what God wanted them to do, and then they would be cut and they would be burned. 
Now, Jesus is saying, but wait a minute, I'm the true vine. What's he saying? He's saying, unlike in the ancient world, where your nationality, your ethnicity, the color of your skin determines your God, Jesus is saying, your relationship with God is not determined by your heritage. Your relationship with God is determined by your relationship with Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Your relationship with God, your heavenly Father, depends on your relationship with Jesus. That's what it means when he says, I'm the true vine. Do you think there's anybody in the modern world who thinks that they're okay with God because of their nationality? Do you see any examples of that? Say, for example, in the Muslim world. Of course you do. People who believe, hey, I was born in this tribe, this tribe worships Allah, therefore I'm okay with God. Do you think that happens in America? Do you think there's anybody who thinks, hey, I'm an American, I'm basically a good person, therefore I'm okay with God, when I die, I go to heaven? Yeah, I, I think that attitude's out there. So Jesus is going to push on, he's saying, I'm the true vine. You've got to have a relationship with me. And my father is the gardener. Now, what does the gardener do? The gardener goes through the vineyard, and he wants the vineyard to produce fruit. Our heavenly father is not about death and decay. He is about organic growth and life. That's what our heavenly father wants. For you individually and for his movement called church. So I've got to ask are you connected to Jesus? Are you connected to Jesus? Jesus says, I'm the true vine. You're not going to have a relationship with your heavenly father unless you have a relationship with me. Have you asked him to forgive your sins? Have you had that moment in your life where you have said, I have messed up my life. I am a sinner. The word sinner means I've messed up my life. I need you to forgive me. I need you to put me in a different path I need a transformed life. You say, well, I, I think that happened when I was a child, but I don't really remember. That's okay. Do you see evidence that has occurred? Do you see evidence that that's actually happened to you? Has your life been transformed by Jesus? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is your first step toward Jesus. To actually pause and say, okay, I get it. I need a relationship with you to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. Are you connected to Jesus? Now, what does this have to do with being a place of grace? Hang with me. This is going to lead us to our second question. What kind of cut will you receive? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. There's no middle ground. In the vineyard, every branch gets cut. It either gets cut because it's dead or it gets cut to make more fruit. Now, this makes a lot of sense to me because I grew up in the middle of an orange grove. And I know oranges and vineyards are not the same but they're close. They're both about producing fruit, and they have the same horticultural principles. One summer, my brothers and I 
were told by our parents to prune an orange grove. We'd had a freeze that year. So it was a lot of dead wood. So we had clippers like this. My brothers always got the good ones. And we went through those groves and we cut out all the dead wood. Now it's just, I was 11 years old. So I was out there and I got all the low branches. My brothers were getting the high branches. Why was it so important for us to cut out the dead wood? Because dead wood leads to disease and leads to death and decay. If you leave dead wood on a healthy tree, eventually the whole tree will get sick. So it has to be cut. So if you're dead wood hanging out in the vineyard, what does our Heavenly Father do? Now, you may not know this about fruit trees or about trees in general, but I bet a lot of you have something like this. I used to have an electric one, but then I got more power. Don't laugh, it happens to you too. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is a hedger. Anybody need a haircut? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, come on. No, 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 no. Okay, so what you do, and you use this at home, right? You hedge. You clip. You clip good, healthy stuff. Why? Well, because it's overgrown. But what happens when you clip it? It grows back. Some of you need to spend more time in the yard. Okay, we've got a machine, or we rent it. It's 20 times this size. Big saws. It goes through the groves. It cuts the wood off. Why? Fruit only grows on new wood. Fruit doesn't grow on old wood. And so you've got to go in. You've got to prune. Jesus says there's a cut coming, and it's either because you're dead or because you need to grow more fruit. So, Jesus is the vine. Our Heavenly Father's the gardener. He's, he's either got a hedger or a clipper. Who are the branches? Now, scholars divide on this. Some scholars say the branches are individuals. Some scholars say the branches are the big C global church. Some scholars say the the branches are the local church, like ADBC. Which one is right? Here's my answer, all three. I think this is one of those times when Jesus is giving us a multi-layered truth in one statement. If you're a follower of Jesus, your purpose is to bear fruit. And we're going to get to what kind of fruit in a minute. And so if you're not bearing fruit, you have to ask, am I really connected to Jesus? I don't, I don't like square, scare tactics in a sermon. I don't like swear tactics in a sermon either. I, but, but I grew up with that kind of preaching, and it just never really resonates with me. But, hey, I think every once in a while we have to ask and, and say, am I really following Jesus or I'm just kidding myself? You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me explain that to you. Not everybody who comes to church, not even everybody who gets baptized, is really connected to Jesus. 
Some people just go through religious motions and rituals, and they think that is good enough. But you don't see any fruit in their life. And they're going to get clipped because they're dead wood. Do you really have a connection with Jesus? Here's sort of the application for the big C church, for the global church. Jesus expects his movement to produce fruit. He expects his movement to make life transformation. He expects people who bear his name as a movement to have an impact on the world. And, and then, Jesus expects the local church, churches like ADBC, to be fruitful. Now, I believe there's some churches that have stopped being fruitful. I, I think there are some churches that would rather fight than follow. They are more interested in arguing about buildings about politics than they, are about, than they are about spreading the good news. And those churches are dead. And I hate to say it, but I think our Heavenly Father is going through the vineyard and saying, okay, you can have a building, you can keep the lights on, but I'm pruning you because you're just dead wood. Now, I don't want that for ADBC, do you? Okay, let's try this again. I don't want that for ADBC. Do you? Okay, that's better. So what does that mean? I think it means that God's going to prune us. If we're really serious and we say, God, we don't want that for our church, I think God will prune us. I think there will be tests. But God will say, okay, let's, let's see. See how serious you are about this. In fact, it's... I, 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 let me just share that I think we've got two tests ahead of us. And I'm always leery when the pastor says, God's giving us a test and we've got to pass the test and here's how you pass the test. Because, you know, I think we've got to discover this together. But let me, let me tell you two that I think are out there. The first is, have you noticed that masks and vaccines have become a really big thing? Anybody noticed? Anybody noticed that a lot of people are attaching God's name to whatever their opinion is? So here's what I think the test is. Will we love each other and Jesus more than our opinions about COVID? Will we love Jesus? Will we love each other more than our opinions about COVID? And here's the second test. Most of you are aware that our Pacala building, for our Pacala campus, big shout out to Pacala right now, it's going to cost a lot more than we thought. Building prices, pandemic, global supply chain problems. What are we going to do? I think it's a test. Will we pray until we get an answer and not just do what we think is the smart thing? Will you as a church say, hey, I, I'm going to pray about that. We, we're going to pray about this. We're going to pray for God to show us the right thing to do. These tests are pruning. So the cut is coming. Which cut is it going to be? Is it, is it going to be a cut of dead wood? Or is it going to be a pruning for more fruit? Now let's go to the third question. What does connection actually mean? Over and over in the passage, we see the word remain. Jesus says, remain in me, I'll remain in you. Remain in me, remain in me. 
What does it mean to remain? The word actually means to sit or to dwell. Okay, we're going back. I know some of you are saying, he is going to talk an awful lot about oranges today. Well, the answer is, yes, I am. Because it works for me. I hope it works for you. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of a grafted orange tree. Now, you may not know this. All fruit trees um, that are used for producing fruit, all vines are grafted, which means the root is usually a type of, of fruit that is different, it's in the same family, the same genus, but it is a different type of fruit that is grafted onto it. You can see the graft line. You see the little notch out of the tree, and you see the little line, that's the graft line. That's where they've come in, and they've grafted on something new. And this particular tree, the bottom, the root, is a lemon, and the top is an orange. And that gives you hybrid vigor. It means the undesirable characteristics of the orange go away and the undesirable characteristics of the lemon go away and now you've got something new. It's grafted. Everybody in Jesus' world, in the ancient world, would have known this. They were grafting in Jesus' time. So this is what Jesus says. When you confess your sins, when you commit to follow Jesus, you now are cleansed. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You now have been grafted in. It's a cool Greek word, catharsis. You've heard that word before, right? It means to be cleansed. It means to be made clean. You are severed from your old root of sin, from your old root of defeat, from your old root of hopelessness, and now you are inserted into a new root, life-giving root, resurrection root of Jesus Christ. I think that is cool. In Jesus' name. Now, Jesus says, you've been made clean by my word. Does that mean that Jesus just spoke over them and they were clean? No, no, no. It means more than that. It means they believed what he said. Don't you remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter steps and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus proves that his word is true by his death on the cross, forgiveness for sins, and by his resurrection, he has power over this world. So what does it mean to be connected? It means you are cleansed. And now Jesus goes on and he says, remain in me as I remain in you. This requires intentionality. You cannot remain in Jesus passively. You have to be intentional. You have to intentionally say, okay, I want to remain in Jesus. How do I do that? It means every day I'm getting up and I'm thinking about how do I strengthen this connection? How do I make this relationship stronger? It means you pray over your business dealings. You pray over financial decisions. You pray about how you raise your kids. And you will find God telling you some things. He will tell you, you don't need to take that deal. It'll stretch you too thin. You won't have time for me. You don't need to take that promotion because if you take that job, you're going to be asked to do things that are not consistent with following me. You need to turn the promotion down. But Lord, how will I survive? If he tells you not to take a promotion, he'll take care of you. If you are a parent and your 16-year-old teenage son comes in and mouths off to you, pray before you respond. Start by saying, Lord, help me not kill him. And then say, Lord, show me how to respond. 
It'll change what you say. If you're in the middle of a fight with your spouse, and I know you fight with your spouse. It's always fun when I say things like that because I see all the people look at each other. Oh, yeah, this morning. Yeah. If you fight with your spouse, how about before you throw in that zinger to prove how wrong they are, which never works, actually pause and pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to say? You'll be surprised how often Jesus says, in the name of my heavenly Father, shut up. Listen. Seek to understand. Is your daily life lived in the presence of Jesus? Now, now, one more thing it means to be connected to Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus without Jesus. I know some of you are going, how much do we pay you to come up with stuff like this? Right? You can't follow Jesus without Jesus. I'm convinced there's a lot of people who try to do it. There's a lot of people, they cannot stand the thought of actually surrendering their life to Jesus, so they just want to duct tape themselves up against the tree. Jesus says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't follow Jesus without Jesus. Now, I'm just going to mess with you a little bit. If you're following a political leader instead of following Jesus, who you're connected to determines what you produce. You say, well, I just don't like that. Take it up with Jesus. You've got to put your connection with Jesus first. Just mess with you a little bit more. If you say, okay, my connection to my family, to my spouse, to my kids, I've got to really take care of that, and I'll put Jesus in somewhere. Wait, 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 wait. You say, that's so good, that's so holy. Yeah, but Jesus said, you've got to seek me first, and then everything else gets taken care of. Connect to me, and the other relationships get taken care of. I'm convinced the reason there's, there's so many churches are dying is because they're not following Jesus. Now, that's not the only reason, but I, I'm just convinced they're not following Jesus. I, I'm so glad. Our direction team, our direction team consists of the mature lay leaders of our church. It's our ultimate accountability team. They represent you in decision-making, and, and I'm so glad that direction team, when we come up to make a major decision, there's three or four people every time pause and say, wait a minute, before we make this decision, before we take this vote, have we prayed about this enough? Don't you think churches ought to pray before they make decisions? Don't you think you ought to pray before you make decisions? I, uh, I have a, an app on my phone called Echo. It's a prayer app. And it's real useful for somebody like me who's ADD. And, and I kind of look at it every, every night and I go through my prayer list and I remember to pray. I've, I've got a, a piece there where I pray for people I love, my family, my kids. Uh, my grandson gets the majority of my prayer time right now. Go figure. Um, I pray for our church. Um, and I'm always praying, hey God, here's what's coming up. Here's the decision we've got to make. Something like building building for Pacala. God, we want to do what honors you. Hey, God, can you make the building cheaper? I mean, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He also owns the steel in the mills. 
I just thought of that. So I'm going to give you this prayer to pray each day. Heavenly Father, I want to remain in Jesus. Just that simple. Heavenly Father, I want to remain in Jesus. Hey, even if the pruning cut comes, I want to remain in Jesus. Now, here's the last question. Is there any fruit? When Jesus talks about fruit, it is shorthand for life transformation and living out your purpose. So there's two dimensions. It is life transformation, living out your purpose. The first part, life transformation. Paul expresses this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I know you said, Clay, you used that verse a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it's one of the most powerful verses in Scripture because it is a spiritual checklist. You can go down and you can say, am I more loving today than yesterday? You say, well, today's been a bad day so far. Okay, well, that's a fruit check. How about it, more joyful? Maybe you need to pray, God, send me some joy. How about peace? How about patience? How about kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? How are you doing there? It's a spiritual checklist. Is that fruit showing up in your life? Now listen, I know a lot of you, you would say, well, I've been following Jesus since I was a teenager, since I was a child. Okay, then compared to the population as a whole, you should have more fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and goodness. I know I didn't do them in order, just seeing if you're checking. Watch it. Remember, who you're connected to determines what you're producing. If you're not connected to Jesus, you're probably struggling producing those kinds of things. When Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. He, he's not telling us, if I pray for a BMW, Carvana will deliver it tomorrow. That's not going to happen. What he is saying, if you remain in me, you're going to ask for the things that are the right things. Because let me ask you this. Would you rather have a life filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control, or a new BMW? And some of you are struggling right now, aren't you? Because you're thinking, boy, a new BMW would really be nice. But let me tell you something. If you had love, joy, and peace, let's just take those three. I think that's worth... That's not worth a BMW. That's worth a Ferrari. <laughs> Shoot. That's worth an F-250 King Ranch. I'm telling you, Jesus will give you the fruit you need if you're connected to him. Is there any fruit? If you're not a Jesus follower, Hey, wouldn't you like to be part of a group of people where there was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control? Wouldn't you love to be part of that group of people? Wouldn't that be cool? Now, there's a second dimension to this. Are you reproducing? What does it mean to reproduce? Is there anyone out there saying, you know, I really want to be like him. I really want to be like her. Last verse, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When we get this right, it reflects well on our Heavenly Father. When we get this right, people with addictions, people struggling in marriage, people struggling with their kids, people wondering why God put them on earth, they see us and they go, 
they got something. When we act like Jesus, it's actually attractive. You may remember Easter. Uh, I shared with you that the leadership of our church had decided as part of our finest hour, you know, to make this our finest hour of generosity in 2021, we would give $175,000 to United Ministries so they could finish their homeless shelter. They had run short of money. We gave them the money. Boom, they were able to finish it. I forgot that we had a reporter from the newspaper in the room. And he heard that and he jotted it down. And he went back and told his editor, hey, Alice Drive is doing this. We'd forgotten to put out a press release. It wasn't important. We were just trying to help people. So, so then they call up the director of Sumter United Ministries on Monday and say, what do you think about Alice Drive giving you 175000 I forgot that we were to tell the guy that we were going to do it. This is not my finest moment of leadership. And so they call Mark, and, and Mark is like, are you kidding me? And then Mark calls me, are y'all going to give us $175,000? Yeah, didn't I tell you? No, praise God, you're the answer to prayer. We've been wondering how we're going to finish this building. And then they post it on social media, and it gets in the newspaper. And, and, and I have people coming up all the next week going, man, I just think it's amazing what you're doing. I think it's great what your church is doing. I have people I know that are not believers saying, that's what a church ought to be. It surprises people when a church acts like Jesus. Let's keep surprising our community. People notice when we live like real disciples. I love what John Ortberg says. To glorify God is to live in such a way that people say what a good God there must be to create someone like him or someone like her. Now, just one more thing here. A lot of us want to say, well, I'm just going to live that kind of life where everybody sees Jesus in me. Sometimes you actually have to tell your story. God's going to open a door, and you need to tell your story. And don't overcomplicate it. We sometimes talk about three circles, how important that is. But let me tell you, if someone, if the door opens and someone is curious, you just tell your story about what Jesus has done for you, how Jesus has changed your life, how there is fruit in your life that wouldn't be there if Jesus wasn't there. And you say, well, I'm scared I'll get the story wrong. It's your story. Now, I'll give you one pointer. Make it short. Nobody wants to hear the three-hour version of your story. But that's part of the fruit that Jesus calls you to bear. So is there any fruit in your life? One more orange tree illustration. Um, we have diseases in the groves right now that really come since the hurricanes came through in 2005. And so you have to go through, right through the groves, and you look at a tree that's dying. And, and you see just a little bit of fruit on it, and you go, oh. okay, we'll keep that tree one more year. Maybe we'll even come in and hedge it, clip it back, way back, see if it'll recover. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it just doesn't work. The trees are dead. And you have to go, there's no fruit on that tree. We've got a big machine comes in and clips the tree. Then we pile it up and burn it. That's all it's good for. Is there any fruit in your life? To be a place of grace, we've got to be connected to Jesus. We cannot be a place of grace. We cannot meet the needs unless we're connected to Jesus.
Because who you are connected to determines what you produce. Are you connected to Jesus? Which cut are you willing to receive? What does connection mean to you? Any fruit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, fruit inspection on our own is really tough. My hunch is there's some people maybe watching, people in this room. The reason there's no fruit is they're not connected to Jesus. And I pray that today they would take that step toward Jesus. They would ask forgiveness for their sins. They would ask you to not only forgive their sins, but commit to follow you. Help them, God, to begin to bear the fruit you intend them to bear. And God, as a church, I pray that we would truly be connected to you. Always help us keep you centered. Help us, God, to remain in Jesus so we can be that place of grace. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.